Hello and welcome. This is where we recap each week's lesson of our women's Bible study class. This semester, we are in the book of Hebrews, and I am so glad you're with us. Let's get started. Okay, woohoo! You've made it through week two and the first week of homework. We are only covering four verses this week in Hebrews, so hopefully the load wasn't too heavy this week. Um, it was definitely a good warm-up week. Now, if you did read the passage and you did the homework, you know that the author of Hebrews did not do a warm-up. This letter starts right at the heart of the author's message. He really starts with a bang. So let's just jump right in. We're going to read Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. And since it's just four verses, I'm going to go ahead and read it uh, all together right now. So it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Boom, mic drop, right? I mean, honestly, what an opening statement. In, uh, in your homework, you were asked how you would summarize the Old Testament. How difficult did you find that to answer? I know I struggled with that. If it was difficult for you, one thing you have to do is you have to wonder, you have to ask yourself why that was. Is it because you struggled to summarize such a huge story, a story that takes place over thousands of years and has all of these moving pieces? Or is it because maybe you just don't know the story well enough? Um, in either scenario, you have to kind of dig down into that because really we're challenged to be able to do what the author did right here. I don't know that I'll ever be able to do an Old Testament an Old Testament summary justice like what we find here, but 1 Peter tells us that we have to try. Peter encourages believers to honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, "Hey, you're going to get asked why you're different and be ready with an answer. Peter, in his letter, was assuming the lives of his audience would mark them as people of faith. Hebrews, though, is saying, if you are a person of faith, your life will be different. It will pick up on this theme later on as we read. Remember how when we went over the high view look at the book, the author is talking to people who are wanting to hide their faith and fit in more with those around them. So this idea of you're going to be different is going to come up again. Keep your eyes and ears open for this idea to sneak in. But everything starts right here in this opening paragraph, and it starts here with the author giving this magnificent defense of Christ that answers the question, who is Jesus? Let's dig in, starting in verse 1. Uh, in your homework, you were given some examples of God speaking to various people in various ways. 
This opening sentence of Hebrews is asking its reader to flex some Old Testament muscle. There are too many examples to go through them all, so your homework just had you remember a few, but hopefully you saw just what the author said. Many people, many times, and in many ways, God has spoken. He walked side by side, speaking directly to Adam. Moses had the burning bush. Daniel and Isaiah had visions. David had the prophet Nathan. There are so many more. I hope these were familiar stories, but if not, I hope you had time to read these stories and see what the author wanted you to see. God has been talking to us for a long, long time. But the author doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 2 to talk about what God has done lately. And he used that term. Did you notice this term that in these last days to describe this time frame that he's talking about? He didn't use 30 years ago which would have been a pretty good estimate for how long ago Jesus was crucified at the time of the writing of the letter. So what does he mean by in these last days? He means the days from Jesus's first coming to the days of Jesus's second coming. And because of that, that phrase in these last days includes the times that we are living in right now. You and I are living in these last days. And what has God done in these last days? He's spoken to us by his son. So you may be picking up on a comparison that the author is setting up here. He's beginning to compare the son or Jesus to other messengers. So in scripture, how did God talk to his people? Um, we have already had the author mention specifically prophets, right? But knowing the Old Testament, we also know he used two other offices, priests and kings. Prophets brought messages from God to the people. Priests offered the offerings to God from the people, serving as mediators, and kings ruled over the people, serving as God's agents to rule with justice and righteousness, wisdom, and obedience. But as you read the Old Testament stories, you know that imperfect people filled these roles. So Israel was left longing for a priest that was greater than Aaron, a king that was greater than David, and a prophet that was greater than Moses. So how does Jesus compare? Well, that's what the rest of this passage tells us. In verse 2, he is described as the heir and the creator of all things. Look at what it says there in verse 2. It says, He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he, that being God, appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So Jesus was there in the beginning, right? He was there in the beginning with creation. He will be there at the end and he is going to receive everything. He is the heir of all things, the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and the omega. Now in your homework, you were asked to write a list of all that you learn about Jesus from specifically verses three and four in this passage. And there is a lot crammed into these two verses. How many different uh, characteristics or things about Jesus did you learn when you looked at those, those two verses? I have that he is the radiance. He's the imprint. Uh, he's a sustainer, a deliverer, a ruler. He sits above all. These are some pretty big descriptions here. You were also uh, asked to compare Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 with 
of a passage in Colossians and then another passage in John. And I wanted you to see what else you learn about Jesus. These are two pretty, uh, pretty famous passages about Jesus. And I think it's interesting to see a repetition of a few of the same ideas, but also some new identities from those passages in Colossians and John. We also see that Jesus is the head of the church and he is the life giver. But in all of these great descriptions of who Jesus is and what he what he provides for us, let's not forget that the author has started out making this comparison between Jesus and these other kinds of messengers, right? So let's look back at these verses and see that he's already referred to Jesus as, as how God has spoken to us, right? So there's there's the son or Jesus serving as a prophet, one who speaks on behalf of God to the people. And then in verse 3, he says that he's made purification for our sins. There's Jesus serving as our priest. And that after he did that, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There's that picture of power and Jesus serving as our king. But our author has done more with that. He's saying, yes, Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king, the one that's going to fulfill what we've been looking for by all these people that have done this job imperfectly. But the reason Jesus can do it and he does it perfectly is because he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is not just a person who does this job well. He is God himself doing it. And so when we come to verse four and we have him, we have the author saying that after sitting, sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. You know, you, you wonder, well, what is the name that he has inherited? Well, that name is Lord. That name is Jehovah. And that name is the name above all names. Now, our last question as we read through these four verses here might be, why are we all of a sudden talking about angels? Did you think that when you read through this of, okay, we've got all of this great stuff about Jesus, but now in this last verse, in verse four, it's all of a sudden he's superior to angels. Where is this coming from? That's totally out of left field. We're going to dive more into that next week um, because the rest of chapter one is the author talking about how Jesus compares to angels. Now, the last part of your homework asked you to fill in the Jesus is page on in your workbook on page 38. You've read the opening lines of Hebrews and also a passage from John and from Colossians, both of which gave beautiful descriptions of Christ. You've listed out all the things that these various authors have said of Jesus. He's the heir of all things, the creator, the sustainer, the head of the church, and many more. There's a lot of descriptions about Jesus in these three passages. But I also ask you to think on these things and write down which one was most impactful to you this week. I wanted you to follow that thought out and then consider how that description of Jesus, how it should impact your life. For me, it was the part in John where he says that Jesus was life. Now, Hebrews told us, remember, that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. And that, that means the whole universe is held. That also means that my every breath, my every heartbeat is held up by Jesus. Jesus is literally the source of my life. But I think John 
is alluding to more than physical life. He also wants us to see that Jesus is the life more abundant. And if Jesus is the source of life, he's also the source of the things in my life. So for me, you know, that's my family, my friends, the um, maybe the activities that I'm involved in, jobs that I have, all the things in my life are from Jesus. And for a, for a little while, it was tempting to think, okay, then I will thank Jesus. You know, thank you for my family. Thank you for my friends. I recognize that those are from him. And I wanted to stop there. But as I thought on this more and more throughout the week, you know, I began to think about all the times in scripture we see Jesus talk about that of whom much is given, much will be asked. You know, when he talks about then the story of the talents, okay, we remember that he, you know, he's telling this story to let his hearers know that he expects people to take what's given to them in their life and to use it for good, not just the theoretical good, but the good that's everlasting, the good of the kingdom. So these things in my life that I'm thanking Jesus for, for example, let's say my family, I have a husband, I have four kids. Not only do I thank Jesus for them and recognize that he is theirs, just like I am his, but I also need to consider how am I using those things for the good of the kingdom? Is my relationship with my husband pointing others to Christ? Am I glorifying God in the way that I talk to him or maybe the way I talk about him? Is the way we structure our life pointing our children and our friends towards God? My relationship with my kids, I am their parent, but two of them are already confessed believers. They're also my brothers in Christ. And so is my relationship with them bringing them along? Am I also discipling them? Or am I letting this opportunity that's in my home every single day, am I letting that slide between my fingers as I worry about socks and dirty dishes and getting backpacks ready for school and you didn't do your homework and stay on top of all of these things that pile up in our life? Am I forgetting the real reason that they're in my life? The real reason that I am a mom right now, and it's to lead these four souls to Jesus. You know, I need to to kind of keep that in the front of my my head. Um, that was really impactful for me this week. So, I hope that you also were able to see what Jesus has done, who He is. Um, if not in a new light, maybe just to be reminded of the things that you're already aware of and to be able to further implement them in your life so that we are using those things and we're bringing good to the kingdom. I do want to close in prayer. Um, so if you're driving, don't close your eyes. Um, but if you do, if you are somewhere where you can just pause for just a moment and just think through this as I, as I pray, um, I think that would be great. All right, Father God, I just want to thank you so much for the words that you've given us, Lord, that show us your heart and show us your love for your creation, God. And I, I thank you for, for sending Jesus to be the one that can fill the holes that that we were missing, Lord, to, to perfectly represent you while he was here, Lord, and to make that perfect sacrifice for our sins. And as he works now as, as the king ruling from the throne, Lord, I just thank you for that and, and for letting us uh, see that he is still 
still in this world and still ruling and reigning despite the chaos that is around us that we know he's still in charge God and I just thank you so much for these group of ladies that are coming together to study your word I pray that you bless our efforts and that you um, you spark new thoughts and new feelings in our hearts Lord and that your spirit just works mighty works in in all of our lives God in Jesus name I pray amen